Welcome to Nice Talk, the crypto show by NiceHash, where we feature expert commentary from around the industry. Uh, my name is Joe. I'm Chief Marketing Officer at NiceHash. Joining me is Marco, our Mining Product Manager. And today we are very happy to welcome Christy Lee, also known as Ogora Girl, who is very familiar within the mining industry. Uh, very happy to welcome you to the show today and talk about all things crypto and mining. So you want to start off just telling us a little bit about yourself? I'm absolutely horrible with uh, with introductions, um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm Christy. I've been working in the mining space professionally since 2010. Um, I've grown up in cryptocurrency, so you know, as soon as I was 18, I was uh, you know actively contributing or working in the mining space. And cryptocurrency has honestly given me an opportunity to take a non-traditional path to um, getting a career and to, to approaching education. And I couldn't be happier for it. It allowed me to defy all of the traditional social norms. And I think I've become a much more well-rounded person as a result of that. Um, and uh, yeah, formally worked with Genesis Mining, which I'm sure uh, many people who are listening to this uh, know of, formerly worked with Core Scientific. Uh, Core Scientific's the largest US-based miner and infrastructure provider. Uh, worked with Leica Cameras, um, which was my last job. And uh, right now I'm just enjoying my free time, uh, working on a super secret layer one protocol and uh, doing some consulting on the side. Uh, technical advisor to Valkyrie Investments, we have the very cool ETF product that has the uh, awesome name, WAGMI, and uh, we also uh, also a technical advisor to Merkle Standard. Merkle Standard is um, a carbon neutral mining company. They're down here in Washington State, and uh, they have a joint venture with Bitmain, which is their claim to fame. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, n nice story. <laughs> Uh, maybe, Alice, yeah, how did you get into crypto? I mean, 2010, that's yeah. a long time ago, yeah. <laughs> um, like, I think most people my age, I spent a lot of time on IRC and on the internet and in chat rooms. And uh, a particular group of friends of mine uh, had dropped the white paper into one of the chat rooms I frequented. And they were all very excited about it. And, uh, you know, to them... Bitcoin was absolutely game changing. And to me, I didn't really understand what Bitcoin was. I, I did not have the necessary uh, background in economics to understand why, you know, we needed a new type of money. This, this wasn't something I had experience with. And Australia, for all intents and purposes, is pretty, you know, well sheltered from the US financial system, at least back then. Um, so some of the core philosophies of Bitcoin didn't make sense until I was older. But my friends were very excited about it and I wanted to fit in. So I also got excited about it, too. And uh, when the, the Bitcoin core client first dropped, you know, all of us made a, a ritual of participating. Um, and it was a, it was fun. It was a lot of knowledge sharing and a lot of trying to chase what I call a high score, which is higher hash rate, right? It, it felt like chasing a high score in a video game. And so, you know, friends and I would just be comparing like our hash rate and what we did to get that hash rate, our memory timings, any optimizations we'd made elsewhere uh, until eventually we had reached our peak of what we could 
do with just really simple overclocking. And then my best friend at the time drops a screenshot and he's got around, I think it was around 30, 30 or 40% performance increase. And he won't tell us how he's done it. He won't even, you know, he won't share anything. Even even now. <laughs> even uh, now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but he, uh, he does say that if we pay him, he'll share. He'll share the code. And in that moment, I get so angry and so outraged because this guy is meant to be my best friend that I'm like, you know what? You're not that smart. If you can do that, I can do that as well. <laughs> and so for three months out of sheer pettiness and fueled just by pure rage, I spent a lot of time crawling Stack Overflow, reading everything I could from MIT's archives, just teaching myself everything there was to know about x86 architecture and about C. And I, I just got so angry. And eventually, three months later, I was able to drop a screenshot and it was 5%, I think 5 or 7% higher than what he had uh, been uh, pulling. And that feeling is what I have been chasing and mining ever since just constantly trying to optimize and improve things. And the great thing is for people that are like me that are currently listening, it's not just mining that this is a skill um, needed anymore. In the Ethereum ecosystem, optimizing smart contracts for gas consumption, that is a, a billion dollar business. And there are not that many experts um, all around, all around the space, uh, optimizing algorithms for uh, consumption on hardware whether it's uh, algorithms used in zero-knowledge proof circuits or, you know, algorithms um, used with, uh, for, for hashing or verification in a protocol, there's, there's low-level optimizations you can squeeze out everywhere. And uh, so you can constantly chase that high score and get that adrenaline, adrenaline rush. Was that your first time coding or did you code before it wasn't, I would say that was my first time doing anything serious. Um, I had a stint. <laughs> I had a stint when I was uh, younger, where I pretended to be much older than I was. And I was working at a video game company called Broken Thorn Entertainment, actually working on an MMO. Uh, and so I worked on the game engine. I probably shouldn't have been because they were a US company. And uh, they were a scrappy startup, but I managed to uh, pose as an 18-year-old when I was like 15 or 16. <laughs> and uh, that, I, I'd done a lot um, there. Most of that stuff was really C++, C Sharp. It was my first introduction to uh, to shader development and just to to serious programming in general. Before that, it had mostly just been hex editing, uh, messing around with emulators. Uh, I had tried to make my own emulator way back in the day uh, with with Java, and that was a bit of a failure. Um, and yeah, it wasn't until crypto that I actually had a love for software development because it just my brain. It like crypto was able to challenge the part of my brain that was always looking to have instant gratification. Um, it's the only industry I have found outside of, I would say, performance profiling, which is something that you need to do for both video games as well as hardware development. Outside of that, I've, I've never found any other industry like it. 
that's almost like a love story. <laughs> <laughs> it is a love story, man. <laughs> cool. So was it that early motivation that kind of kicked off your you were involved or you developed the Progpile mining algorithm? Was that <laughs> kind of kicked off from that early motivation or how did that come about? No. Uh, so Progpile comes from a different place. So I think it was around 20, it was either 2017 or 2018. There was a lot of discussions about Ethereum ASICs on the Ethereum network. And a particular uh, core developer um, had put out a, a call for an alternate proof of work algorithm. So this was the time Bitmain had just finally released their uh, first Ethereum, uh, Ethereum ASIC. And for those of you who are familiar with, uh, with that device, the E3, it was, you know, pretty, pretty simple. It was some DDR3 RAM uh, strung together with a really basic compute core. But it was causing a lot of uh, drama in the Ethereum ecosystem. So there was this call put out for alternate proof-of-work algorithm proposals. And um, myself and two other friends, Def and Els, were sitting there looking at all of these proposals and the suggestions that had come up. There was one guy who was a trying to build an FPGA startup at the time that was uh, proposing a one-time change to the algorithm, which would have made FPGAs like way more efficient than gpus and i thought that's really stupid at first i thought you know he just didn't understand now i suspect it was intentional probably malicious we had um we had every other algorithm and coin under the sun trying to pitch their algorithm and the problem with most cryptocurrency developers is they don't have the necessary background in hardware they don't understand how their software is going to translate to bare metal this is a skill that's not often taught, um, you know, in traditional software development. And crypto is one of the few intersections where you need to understand how your code is performing on bare metal to be, you know, your most efficient for your users. I can see so, those music to Marco's ears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know a guy who, who talks just like you. Uh, <laughs> so we got super, super frustrated, right? We got um, a little bit angry seeing all of these shitty proposals and then one you know one uh weeknight we were like you know what let's let's just do our own we had no idea what we were doing when it when it came to ethereum governance but we built the first uh prototype and white paper for progpow and then uh we went straight to vlad zamfir and like told him about this and uh he gave us a lot of guidance on how to create an eip and you know, push it through the proposal. We went through that. It was hard. Like writing the algorithm was easier than uh, getting it through the Ethereum governance. Um, so we created the EIP and then, you know, got everything kind of set out, threw it out there and didn't hear anything for six months. And by that time, uh, you know, Def and Elson moved on to other things I had as well. I just joined Core Scientific. So I was working as, a, you know, as a CTO there and um, out of the blue, uh, Powell um, from Ethash, uh, um, from Ethash uh, Optimizations, as well as um, Ethminer reaches out and says, hey, there's, you know, a lot of excitement about ProgPow. Would you like to come speak at it, um, about it at DevCon? Uh, 
And I was very excited to do that, but also kind of surprised that six months later, it's finally starting to pick up headwinds. And uh, so we did that. And yeah, that's the story behind Prog Pow. It was really just spurned out of frustration over the fact that people who did not understand hardware were pretending to be hardware experts and were going to create another flawed algorithm, which is what Hash was. It didn't sufficiently saturate GPU cards. It, it barely used all of the memory accesses available. Um, and, you know, we were we were quite proud of it. Um, we were quite proud of the early days of ProgPal development. We had a lot of um, peer reviews by Samsung and their uh, memory division. We had peer reviews from Intel. We had peer reviews from, you know, other uh, experts in the Ethereum space. Eventually, Bob Rao stepped in, did the hardware audit. Um, it was amusing to see a lot of the, uh, now it's amusing to see a lot of the uh, drama and conspiracy theories that uh, ProgPal created. Um, and it was also very telling, for me at least, to be able to observe the ASIC manufacturers. It, it allowed me to see who was actually a legitimate like hardware competitor and who was full of shit. And so Bitmain, if you ever notice, Bitmain never stated they could build an ASIC for ProgPal. Bitmain did one small campaign for April Fools against ProgPal, and that was it. They never um, created any FUD. They never created any drama because they understood intimately what it was. Whereas uh, for those from those days who remember Lindsay, uh, Lindsay was the... Um, Lindsay Chen, who was uh, Chen Min, who was the former CTO of Canon, left to start uh, Lindsay Asics, and uh, they created a lot of controversy and a lot of political drama around ProgPal because it threatened, you know, their bottom line. They had just spun out to go and develop an Ethereum Asic, and along comes ProgPal, which could jeopardize that entire business. Um, and uh, they put the I think they put the Ethereum core team and some of the Ethereum contributors through absolute hell. There was a lot of personal attacks, a lot of drama, just a lot of smear campaigns. And, uh, you know, two, three years later, uh, Lindsay, Lindsay blew up. Their ASIC was a failure. Uh, their, um, it, it couldn't even uh, beat out InnoSilicon's ASICs. It was, over, it was way too expensive for a consumer miner. Um, they faded off into irrelevance, and uh, yeah, it's it was a. Even though at the time, ProgPal was incredibly stressful for me as both an engineer as well as a contributor to the Ethereum ecosystem, it taught me a lot about the flaws in Ethereum's governance. It taught me a lot about how, you know. The, the darker side of miners, which I had never seen before. Um, and it taught me a lot about how easy it can be to manipulate um, people in the Ethereum ecosystem or probably any other protocol when you're speaking about a area that doesn't have a lot of expert, uh, that the, the team doesn't have a lot of expertise in. Because at the time, 
not anymore, but at the time, I think uh, if Def else was one of the only hardware experts in the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, so yeah, it was an interesting experience. Um, would probably not do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Can you remember us why the why Procpo wasn't implemented? I remember at that drama. Time there was like drama. It was, because drama. It yeah. was drama. Honestly, the so many so towards the end it was greenlit for inclusion into the testnet and then eventually a mainnet plan was going to be put in place and then what happened was lindsay started a smear campaign that attacked quite a lot of prominent members of the ethereum core team there was a lot of drama between uh different ethereum core teams namely the parity the former parity team um coming against the geth team and look engineers just want to build code they don't want to get into politics right um i remember the constant smear campaigns coming out against core scientific and against myself you know saying core scientific had created this algorithm and was trying to uh push it into ethereum to profit off it uh never mind that uh core scientific never had a large gpu mining operation to begin with um it was drama drama killed it and you know towards the end uh miners started believing all of the fud and actually pushed against progpal and now oh go ahead yeah i remember at the time everybody was testing uh progpal like what the new gpu came out and what's the performance on the uh it hash versus progpal yep you know now miners are complaining about proof of stake and complaining about the merge but the thing is that they could have if things had gone different differently and progpow had been implemented we would have had you know probably three or five more years of proof of work i truly believe that but miners quickly brought into all of the fud and all of the hype and a lot of the ethereum uh sorry a lot of the asic and fpga miners joined on that train as well and you know just killed it um it passed all of its audits it had progpow you know was tested it was even implemented in geth like it was it was ready to go but it it was a difficult situation because how do you actually tell whether or not the community wants something how do you measure that sentiment we do not have good tools for measuring sentiment outside of a hard fork in crypto um twitter polls don't work uh no sort of on-chain governance tools work you know we did um there was a gas voting tool there was a uh token voting tool for for or against progpal like none of this works right um it's it, it was a really hard problem to solve uh so yeah the final decision which was in march um sorry may of 2020 march or may march it was uh because i was in paris and i caught covid right <laughs> after um march of 2020 was you know it would sit in testnet it would sit in the back pocket as a deterrent but uh the ethereum core teams would push full steam ahead for proof of stake and kick out proof of work as soon as they could um we can question the decentralization with this like who actually decides decides about what gets implemented well i think decentralization did work 
miners voted against Pal, and they didn't get Pal. That was that that truly was it. I remember so many of the GPU miners brought into all of the 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 FUD, right? About how AMD cards would not be as efficient as NVIDIA cards and this favored NVIDIA. They never did their own research. And those same miners are the ones that are now complaining that, you know, their profits have been reduced and that there is nowhere else for their cards to be to be uh, operating and running. Um, I, you know, in hindsight, um, I don't think the right way to run a layer one protocol is to dive headfirst into decentralization. I think that you need a small core team that is centralized, that is making decisions to get product market fit. And then decentralization is a playbook. It's a progressive thing. You have to take steps to give the community more ownership, but you also need to teach the community about the core principles and why they're important and why you've made these design decisions. Satoshi did this. Satoshi uh, was very good in that, you know, he laid the groundwork for the initial community to uphold his vision of Bitcoin. He spent a lot of time on the forums, educating, teaching. He kept it all to text so that things would be, you know, uh, left behind when he when he uh, went on to new things. And in Ethereum's case, they tried to jump headfirst into decentralization, which created uh, decentralization theater. You know, the the illusion that things are decentralized and you get a very apathetic and sometimes very greedy community. Ethereum doesn't have that issue anymore. Um, but from, I would say, 2016 to 2018, that uh, definitely was a, a major issue that Ethereum had. You know, most of the, the mining community was pretty apathetic. Uh, they didn't spend a lot of time understanding the inherent upgrades and changes and didn't get involved with the Ethereum core development. They really only cared about what affected their bottom line. Um, that's not what you want from a mining community. You want them to be like the Bitcoin mining community, which in my experience does invest quite a lot of time in understanding what is going into each uh, BIP and what is you know, happening in the ecosystem and what's on the horizon. So when you, when you talk about uh, the Ethereum side of mining and the Bitcoin side of mining, when you take a step like a little bit further out and think of mining in general in, in terms of the crypto space, how do you see that in the in the long term? Like we're talking like 20, 50 years ahead. Do you think that it's here to stay? That it's going to always be a part of the crypto infrastructure or is it something that's going to phase out? I really hope it's here to stay. Um, I'm doing my part to make sure that it kind of stays. I'm working on, you know, the design and development of a new layer one protocol that will have proof of work in it. Um, I'm worried. I, I think that this ESG narrative, most people here in the U.S. just scoff at it. I think it is going to be really hard in the future to build a new proof of work algorithm that's truly fair. Um, with this constant ESG narrative. Because what's going to happen is after the merge happens and all of these GPUs suddenly turn into garbage, because there's no other industry that will consume that amount of compute. There really isn't. Um, 
hardware manufacturers aren't ever going to produce GPUs on a scale like this ever again for like they don't want to repeat at Ethereum. Miners aren't ever going to invest this amount of hardware again in GPU mining because they've learned their lesson from the Ethereum ecosystem. And I think that um, there's going to be a lot of political pressure from countries outside of the US and then eventually in the US around energy consumption because there's still this misnomer that you know consuming energy is bad when that is the core security principle of proof of work and i think that proof of stake is going to take off in a big way and this makes me really sad because proof of stake you are always having to make a decision between uh you know spending your fiat on you know your rent and your utilities and your real life or taking a portion of it and using it to buy crypto. And in proof of stake, as much as I'd like to, you know, be a proof of stake um, enthusiast, I have seen that it just makes the rich get richer. Proof of there's no Absolutely. way to ensure you have a sufficiently decentralized proof of stake network where all of the nodes, you know, are individual users at home, like your your traditional blue collar people. There's no way to do that. And it's because it's tied again to a dollar value. And it makes me really sad. There needs to be a hybrid approach. You need proof of work to bootstrap an ecosystem to uh, distribute those initial coins into the hands of many users. And there's so many things we can do around ensuring it's, it's one GPU, one miner. Like there's just so much we can do around that. That's a technical problem. So we can solve that. But everyone in the world now has their hands on a GPU. You might not think you do, but if you've got a laptop, if you have an iPhone, if you have, you know, any form of computer around your house, hell, even even your, your Xbox and your uh, PS5, you have a GPU. And so all of that compute can be put towards, you know, securing the network and getting coins in return. In, in proof of stake, you know, you're, you have to make decisions on what capital do you take out of other protocols to go into this new coin. And truly the only people that can afford to do it are those who are already wealthy. Um, and so a hybrid approach would have proof of stake instead be part of your roll-up and your validation and anything that you need capital lockup for. So think about DeFi. DeFi desperately needs liquidity pools, right? Deep liquidity pools. It's the perfect partner for a proof of stake algorithm. So I think the future of, you know, mining is going to be in these hybrid algorithms that use proof of stake for its intended purpose, where you want to incentivize capital lockup for long periods of time. You want the whales to act uh, actually participate in the network and where proof of work is left to that grassroots movement um, for wide coin distribution and coin issuance. And uh, Dash, Dash does something similar, right? Dash, Dash does not because Dash, Dash is really disappointed in me, to be honest. Um, and I'm, yeah. I'm probably uh, not representing Valkyrie when I say this because Valkyrie has a trust, but uh, Dash has really disappointed me because they, for proof of work to be fair and for it to be sufficiently distributed, it has to be CPU or GPU based. 
It can't be ASIC based. It can't be FPGA based. Dash has no intention of changing the proof of work algorithm. They want to wholly embrace ASICs. And guess what? No ASIC manufacturer is going to make new machines for, for Dash. It's, it's too tiny of an algorithm. So they are stuck in a, in a cycle they've created. And their master nodes aren't truly proof of stake because there's nothing at risk. For proof of stake to work, you do have to have the slashing requirement. Otherwise, you have the nothing at stake problem. And we've seen how this plays out with both Solana as well as Avalanche, where there is no staking, uh, sorry, no slashing implemented. Um, you end up just getting a very small validator set of incredibly wealthy whales that at any time can just withdraw their, their coins, you know, if they've uh, met that lockup period. And that you don't want that for your network. And you don't want people to be able to do malicious activities and get away with it. Um, so <clears throat> at least in, in proof of stakes regard, I think, when we're talking about proof of stake algorithms, even though everyone likes to call their algo proof of stake now, it really has to be modeled after what Ethereum has done, which is, you know, have capital lockup that's not too intense, have sufficiently consistent, uh, sufficiently distributed and consistent rewards. So again, one of the great things about the Ethereum ecosystem is every validator gets rewards in a round. It's not pick or choose. It's not random. And make sure that there is slashing in place and it doesn't have to be severe. It could just be a quarter of your rewards. It could be, you know, you have a window of grace, like a, a half an hour window of grace, um, but have something that is a deterrent to bad behavior. You need a harmful deterrent. You can't assume everyone will be altruistic when there's a lot of money on the line. Um, I don't think there is any, I've been looking and so far I haven't found any coin that has a proper, this proper hybrid consensus mechanism because you have Zaliqua that, you know, it obviously has the concept of, they're not master nodes. I think they're called super nodes. They, they have that concept though, and they have proof of work, but in reality, their proof of work is only a tiny portion of their entire chain. Um, and it's still not enough for broad issuance. Uh, you have other coins that try this like Veil, which you know split a percentage of the blocks between proof of work, proof of stake, still not right. You need, what you need to do is have some sort of base, you know, base chain that is secured by proof of stake where your capital lockup is sitting. And then you need shards layer two layer twos, roll-ups, whatever, which are powered by proof of work. And this is also beneficial if it's GPU-based because then you can use uh, your proof of work, your, your problem that you're trying to solve can actually be, you know, um, processing and validating zero-knowledge proofs. It can be useful proof of work. I, I truly believe that. Um, so, you know, there's there's a lot of interesting things to do there, but I worry about the ESG narrative. I worry about that. I think we're now at a point in crypto where um, we used to laugh a few years ago and pretend that there would be no nation state attacks and that would never happen. And then China happened. And now we're seeing reports of North Korea uh, actively you know, infiltrating um, Web3 projects. 
And I think this is the next big thing. I think countries are going to use energy consumption as a way to push cryptocurrency out of their ecosystem. And speaking, speaking okay. of China, so, uh, sorry, mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, go ahead, mate. Uh, yeah. uh, speaking of China, do you think it's possible to ban, uh, ban mining? Because as we saw, China banned mining, but I think they still have like 22% of hash rate. There. People say they have 22% hash rate. I, I think the number is a lot lower. Um, yeah. I, I think it is possible. I mean, yes, we can ban mining. A country can say this is illegal, but it's up to an individual to decide whether or not they want to pursue that illegal activity, right? Um, you know, in the, here in the US, file sharing is illegal. Peer-to-peer -peer networks, like, uh, sorry, torrent. Torrents are illegal, torrent, yeah. right? Uh, file sharing. Over in Sweden, it's not. Um, so each country can definitely, you know, ban mining. But I think people that are very passionate about crypto will continue to mine. What's sad, though, is that in a country like China, where mining has been made illegal, it's a lot harder to get access to ASICs. Oops. Uh, it's very easy to get access to GPUs, right? And CPUs. And this is another reason why... I'm very bullish on these egalitarian proof-of-work algorithms because they are the best tool when you're dealing with censorship, when you're dealing with, you know, an, uh, a countrywide ban. It, it really does ensure that you're able to continue to keep your network alive because um, there's it's going to be hard to get ASICs in uh, and smuggled in through, through uh, county to county or region to region. Um, so I think it's it, it's possible, but the the same crypto anarchists that originally you know participated in Bitcoin will be the ones that are keeping it alive. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with that. So also the GPU side, I think it helps with the environment argument because you you have less of a reason to to push against it because it's not on an industrial scale. It's not so visible it's like you know individual mm -hmm. houses using this it presents a much better argument for distributing the the costs and the the work yep. needed across the globe the security yep. and the security yeah definitely let's talk a bit let's talk a bit about the the merge we talked a bit about ethereum mm -hmm. how do you think uh, how do you think that's going from your perspective is it is it going to happen as they plan or is there going to be some yeah is it going to end up like a hybrid model no, not at all. Um, so it is going to happen. It is coming this year. Sorry, miners. Uh, August, August to September is when it's going to trigger, in my opinion. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely nervous, which I think a lot of the other people are. And I'm nervous for probably a different reason. I think the actual merge, the, the, the single block that switches from proof of work to proof of stake will be entirely fine. My concern is in all of the applications and the wallets and the infrastructure providers and everyone else that sits on top of the Ethereum network. I don't have a lot of faith in them. I don't think people have sufficiently tested their applications. And, and to clarify, there's actually no risk to smart contracts because nothing is inherently changing in the EVM. Like the, the state execution layer 
shouldn't change. But even so, you should be testing, right? Just in yeah, case exactly. for all those edge exactly cases. What, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, tripping. I know. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. him. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, he posted a video exactly about this. He has the same concern. Like and we should definitely test those because if one one thing goes wrong, uh, that could be re- really bad for the whole yeah. system. And my concern is on anything that uses right now Infura um, or uses a Alchemy or a centralized API provider. You know, my concern is around those dApps. My concern is around dApps that are there are dApps out there that have, um, you know, are using at hash in some way or are trying to, you know, make use of cryptocurrency mining in some way. Like I, I just don't have a lot of faith in everything else that's built on top of Ethereum. Um, and so I think it's going to be a little bit of chaos. And I think we're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of chaos in like the first two weeks of the merge um, just as, as applications and dApp developers scrabble to get things up and running again. And as users get educated and I am concerned that the mining community is going to take every little misstep and failure and blow it out of proportion as we yeah. saw that they did with Progpal because they're angry and they're hurting and I get it. I, I do get it, but um, it's Just not good for, nature. yeah, but it's also not good <laughs> for any of us in the cryptocurrency ecosystem, right? Like, I, I don't think miners understand, we, you don't want Ethereum to fail. All that Ethereum you, you've mined and you're holding onto, you want Ethereum to switch to proof of stake and you want it to 10x because that exactly. will justify all of the money that you've spent and invested into this hardware over the years you don't want it to fail um no matter how how fulfilling that would be um, unless you've been switching it directly to bitcoin with nice hash. yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> that's, you're fair. Fine. <laughs> that's fair that's uh, fair but in all honesty do you really think it's going to work yes yes okay. i do i do i'm uh i'm, I'm skeptical i'll be honest that. I'm, I'm incredibly confident that it is going to work. Um, you know, I've been, uh, been participating in some of the testnet runs. I'm not at all worried on the core and execution part of things. So anything that's left to the core teams and the client teams, that's fine. And anything that's left to, say, Coinbase and some of the major exchanges, it's, it's fine. My concern is just everything else, all of the applications. Um, there are still people that don't even know what the merge is. Like that's, that's how bad this is. And the Ethereum ecosystem is not waiting any longer. Like they're, they're pushing full steam ahead to do this. So, um, so yeah. yeah. That's, that's the part that I think is a bit risky. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you don't have everything else around it, that comes, that, that goes smoothly once it's been implemented, then that can cause some really big problems. And yep. people lose faith and in it, and then you have then it's kind of spirals. That's the problem with a decentralized ecosystem. But at the same time, think about a programming language, right? Or like, uh, like if Python suddenly upgrades to um, Python four, like tomorrow, and has a bunch of breaking changes, applications will have to uh, update 
right to to match like we we have these challenges no matter what in software development it's just harder in ethereum because well uh, a lot of dap developers honestly are lazy um the the ones that you probably know and love those teams are fantastic but there's also a lot of garbage out in the ethereum ecosystem same as solana and avalanche you know a lot of really terrible contracts that i do hope die with the merge um <laughs> that are that are insecure or someone just you know decided to make a a just decided to copy and paste code together and launch it as a smart contract like i think all of that's just going to implode um so we will see august and september mark your calendars yeah uh can you explain let's say for our users what a difficulty bomb is uh because we have we have a lot of like uh beginners Mm -hmm. as users so i think explanation would from you would would be good I mean, not very well, probably. <laughs> um, I mean, the difficulty bomb is just where your your difficulty, right? Your your difficulty level of your uh, of your mining um, of your sorry. The difficulty bomb is just where your difficulty level of your network is increasing. So in Ethereum, this is artificially increased, and it's it's. We call it a bomb because it's just an explosion of difficulty. Whereas in Bitcoin, it is a rolling adjustment based upon network hash rate. Um, and then that's it. There's no artificial increase. The difficulty bomb in Ethereum was really meant to ensure that proof of work would get harder and harder and to taper off investment uh, into mining hardware and into proof of work as we were getting closer to proof of uh, proof of stake. Um, in reality, you know, proof of stake was meant to be rolled out in 2018. Uh, so the difficulty bomb kept getting delayed and delayed. Um, I don't think we're going to encounter, uh, another difficulty bomb between now and the merge. Um, I think it's going to be delayed, uh, and just, you know, left aside. So, uh, at least from the last, uh, chats in the, uh, all core devs. Cold. So, so do you think that the difficulty bomb won't be triggered, but the merge will happen without the without any? So yes. just... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because the difficulty bomb requires a client, like it requires a trigger, it requires a client upgrade. And think about it. Why would you? Why would you increase the difficulty like this close? If miners already know that the merge is coming in August and September a difficulty bomb isn't going to discourage them from investing more into mining. That was its entire purpose, just to discourage proof of work investment. As, as far as I understood, difficulty bomb was there to prevent from forking. No, uh, just to discourage no. investment in proof of work. It was because um, way back in the day, You know, there was always the discussion of how do we ensure that proof of work doesn't become, you know, this doesn't become bigger than it already is. And you would continually increase the difficulty bomb uh, every three months leading up to the merge. But the merge now is very different from what was planned in 2016. 
in 2016, we were still talking about having hybrid chains, right? Proof of work and proof of stake running in parallel. We thought we would have sharding. We don't have that when the merge happens. Uh, that's pretty important for people to understand. So originally proof of work was going to run on its own shard and there was going to be F1 and F2. Now there'll just be Ethereum. So it was just artificial difficulty that was going to be increased and decided when it would be increased by the uh, core dev team based upon one, an understanding of like what was happening in the network at the time Two, um, were they overpaying for economic security? And with EIP 1559, that's helped delay the difficulty bomb as well. And then three, making sure that there's not too much investment in proof of work as we get closer. Um, I think just by them talking so openly about the merge and the timelines, that's acted as enough of a deterrent. Um, the only thing that, so forks are going to happen. I have no doubt there's going to be a fork at the day of the merge. Um, and guess what? That's okay. Uh, that's actually a great thing for everyone. I can imagine that all of us would be very happy to receive some free money via an airdrop and to quickly sell out our coins, the same as happened. what happened with Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV. <laughs> like that's, it, it's going to happen. And I've had many mining groups uh, propose uh, a proof of work fork to me and ask if I would get involved. Um, and look, the, ultimately Ethereum's future is decided by the dApps. It's where the dApps go. And the dApps are going to stay on, you know, the main chain. Um, so I think if miners really do want to organize a successful fork, they need to make sure that they have some of the most innovative and most highly used applications also on their chain. And they need to be ready to maintain that. And that is going to look, miners need to step up and actually be stewards of the ecosystem and actually fund and contribute to the funding of these applications if they want to be successful. Um, and I don't think a lot of the mining groups that are left in Ethereum care that much. Um, so we'll see what happens. It, it'll be interesting nonetheless. So when that all happens, what do you think is going to be the optimum solution for a GPU miner? Obviously, we are very confident in uh, NiceHash is going to be the perfect solution mm -hmm. for most people because we have the algorithm switching. Obviously, we're adding more algorithms and we have the PPS system, which is perfect for switching to, to pools. So what's your opinion on that? What do you think? So I think for the big enterprises, they should continue to use NiceHash, um, quite honestly, because they should be acquiring Ethereum or Bitcoin on their balance sheet. So it's a great way for them to use all of the GPU hardware they've already got laid out. Um, I would not uh, advise a public company to be going and mining like Furo or to be going and mining um, Ravencoin, as, as nice as that would be for me personally. Like it's it's just not appropriate. Right. Um, so something like NiceHash is a lifesaver there. For all of the home miners, I would seek refuge in the uh, ProgPow variant coins. So you've got um, you've got Firo, you've got Ravencoin. I learn about new ones all the time. 
the only thing that's going to be safe, quite honestly, for GPU miners is progpal based coins. Um, and it will be interesting to see what happens to Ethereum Classic. I do not think Ethereum Classic is going to get a surge of GPU hash rate like they predict. I think Ethereum Classic is going to get a surge of ASIC hash rate, which will kill the network uh, quite sufficiently. Um, and uh, I'm I'm really sad to say that of all of the big GPU miners I've talked with, a lot of them are making preparations to close up shop and just won't be participating in mining anymore. Um, so they're you know, preparing buyers for their hardware, preparing to liquidate everything and just, they'll just walk. Um, there are I'm some- buy that, all that hardware. Uh, rendering farms, rendering farms and these, I don't know what to call them, but they're like really shady uh, AI compute providers. Like everyone's seen them. If you if you work at a university or like you've you've done your own due diligence, there's always these uh, providers of compute, right? Super cheap compute um, that's way better than what you can get on Amazon or, or Google. Uh, that's a mining farm. Um, so they'll they'll sell out hash rate or sorry, they'll sell out compute power to these these yeah. providers to be packaged up, um, and that's perfectly fine for a lot of low-level ML algorithms, um, anything that just needs, you know, some, some inference, like it's, it's, it's okay. Um, there's some demand out there for that amount of compute, not as much as people are thinking. And um, there might be a possibility for all of the miners who've invested in GeForce cards. Um, you'll probably be in a better place than most because you'll be able to sell your GPUs to gaming cafes, which are making a huge surge um, again uh, in like Japan, Korea, still in China. There is a massive hardware shortage in China. So I think GeForce cards will retain their value. Anyone who's invested in AMD cards or mining specific cards, uh, you won't be able to find a buyer, honestly. Um, it, it'll be hard. So, uh yeah do you think do you think maybe that someone has some secret project somewhere that no one's even mentioned or talked about that might be coming out has been waiting for this time to snatch up all these hash rate and gpus do you think that's a possibility so it is i know of quite a few projects but i don't think any of them are going to be ready by august september time frame um, I think we're going to see some of those projects next year. And quite honestly, I don't think anyone expected the merge to happen this soon. Uh, a lot of, there was a lot of FUD and a lot of nonsense out there saying it would take another two to three years. And so I think for those who weren't actively following Ethereum development, this has caught a few people by surprise. Um, I know that there's plenty of companies that are trying to also package up GPU compute to use for acceleration of zero knowledge proofs. I don't think that's uh, that's going to be successful either um, for a variety of reasons. So I hope there is a super secret project, um, but I don't think any of them are going to be ready in that time frame. And 
you really only get one chance when you're launching a layer one protocol to pull it off. Like it, it has to be a super successful launch. You can't just launch with an algorithm anymore. Uh, you have to launch with a full set of applications and, you know, a pretty, pretty yeah, sufficient platform, user base. Yeah. 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 So what project do you think is the next big thing? Could you, do you have anything that you would say it's, it's going to become the next something better than Ethereum and what Bitcoin is? What I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I, and, and that's a secret, right? Uh, I will honestly be disappointed if um, I, I set out, you know, I think a year ago to build something that was would improve in all of the inefficiencies I saw in the Ethereum ecosystem. I think the world needs a platform that is not Turing complete. I think the world needs a proof of work based platform. And I think the world needs just something that sits in between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, but it, it takes a long time to get there. Like I said, you can't launch a protocol anymore with just an algorithm. It has to be, like you guys said, a full platform. Um, I think in the interim, I hope Ravencoin really does take off. The Ravencoin team is passionate. The core team surprises me with how many bloody events they're at, hiding and lurking. I'm I'm always very happy to see uh, Tron at uh, random events that I frequent. Yeah, he he was one of our guests, by the way. I think the, he, the second one, yeah. third guest on Nice Talk. Yeah. He's he's awesome, and I really yeah. I adore the Ravencoin vision and just the community. The community is probably one of the nicest I've ever encountered in mining. So I hope that really takes off. Um, I think that they need to make a big investment into some serious applications. And right now their big thing is NFTs. I, I would implore any layer one protocol right now to just ignore NFTs. They're, they're not as cool as you think they are. Um, they're going to die out of use probably in, you know, uh, in this coming bear market. NFTs can be fantastic if we approach them in different ways, but right now, just taking an image and storing it in in IPFS that's that's not the future. Um, yeah. I think NFTs so I, are like si- similar to ICOs that we yes. saw in twenty seventy. That's just like the same hype. You, mm-hmm. you, I was just putting money everywhere at the time. Uh, yeah, they can they can be phenomenal. Right, they they really can be. They can be creative. They can be a way to empower artists, but a majority of the NFTs in the Ethereum ecosystem are not. And there's been a lot of damage done through the NFT space, um, and a lot of harm has come uh, through the NFT space as well. Um, and we're heading into a bear market. It's not going to be what people are truly using. NFTs are just a very small subset of what you can do in crypto. Um, so I think Ravencoin needs to really double down in application development and be thinking about um, interoperability with other chains to bring in that functionality and uh, really investing in application development. The The thing that most, what what makes a good blockchain project right now is product. Too many people 
focus on building technology and they don't focus on building great products. All users care about is products. The, the algorithm, your consensus mechanism, all of this, it all goes into building the a product. Yeah. It's all behind the scenes. Your users don't really care, to be honest. Like, exactly. you're, they just care about, like, what cool things can I use? What cool games can I play? What, what can I stake? What can I yield farm? Like, they want utility. And Nobody really cares about how GPU works, but how many FPS they can get. Like, Correct. Yeah. Correct. And so I don't think we're going to see an Ethereum killer for three to four years. I think it's going to be a market that will be dominated predominantly by Ethereum and Bitcoin still. I think we are going to see a big rise in privacy coins. And so I think this is a bright future for Monero and uh, Firo and uh, uh, all of the other wonderful privacy coins that I've forgotten the name of. Darrow. They're so private, you don't They're... know what they are. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think this is going to be the age of privacy coins because um, I think when we're heading into a recession, people are going to want to keep their money really close to their chest. And I do think we will have some other wars that break out and private cash is going to be king. So I think um, we're going to see a surge there. I don't think, I'm really sad to say that um, as much as I adore Zcash from a technology uh, perspective, I, I worry Zcash has a lot of it politics going on right now, which makes me a little sad. Um, but yeah, I think private cash will be king. And then three to four years later, we'll see some new type of cryptocurrency platform. And my big worry is that it might be too late. I think, I think the space will have lost faith in proof of work. I think countries will have a lot of rules and uh, a lot of like, um, you know, things that are outlawed a lot more regulation around crypto, which will yeah, hamper sure. this, this innovation. I think that exchanges are going to have a complete monopoly on the proof of stake space, which makes me even more sad and it's going to be hard. Um, and so whatever is being built now needs to be built with an eye towards what the ecosystem will look like in, uh, you know, in 2025 and 2026 and what that landscape will be. And, um, it'll be difficult. Um, Bitcoin will still be king. I'm, I, I know that Ethereum maxis would love for Ethereum to one day flip Bitcoin, but that will never, never be the case. Um, not, not yet, at least not unless, you know, something, what could possibly allow Ethereum to flip Bitcoin is a ban on cryptocurrency mining here in the U S because that would, drain about i would say 400 500 billion from the bitcoin ecosystem because that would force all of your public companies and all of your um you know little infrastructure providers basically everyone in the us who has set up shop here to stop operations and that would be catastrophic and i hope that won't ever happen but you know what the president could wake up one day, be grouchy, and just 
create an executive order. <laughs> it could yeah, happen. But I think that I think the miners in the states have a lot of uh, lobbyist power. Uh, as far as not I saw as much in Miami. as you would think. Yeah. Not as much as you no. would think. They like to pretend that they do. Um, quite no. honestly, it's always be. So what is sad is that a lot of the U.S. miners like to pretend that they're very big and very important. And they definitely do have influence in specific states. But the reality is that, um, you know, the U.S. government, like Biden, makes the rules at the end of the day. Biden could issue an executive order, like ban all cryptocurrency mining for six months while they do their research on, you know, the energy consumption of the Bitcoin industry. Um, people like to pretend that Trump couldn't create his executive orders that he did around the Chinese uh, Chinese uh uh chinese imports yet he did um and i i am very disappointed by how the u.s miners are they we all seem to have lost like the original point of bitcoin in the in the mining ecosystem right now everyone you know, this year um, I attended a Satoshi Roundtable and then I also attended Bitcoin Miami. And at both places, there was just a lot of discussion about how do we appease regulators? How do we make regulators happy? That isn't what Bitcoin that, is about. That's, that's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah. the opposite. Yeah. Um, but, and yeah. this, this is what happens when you create a public company, right? Because you have to do what is in the best interest of your shareholders. You have to do what is in the best interest of, you know, your company, which is making it money and making the powers that be happy. But what is best for Bitcoin right now is not public companies. What is best for Bitcoin is every single user in America, every single home having a Bitcoin miner inside of it with a node. What is the best for Bitcoin is all of the, the Bitcoin that's being hoarded in these public companies, all of that being sufficiently dispersed to many, many users outside of the US. Um, what is best for Bitcoin is not having 40% plus of the hash rate sitting in one country. Yeah. And I think that, that, that Bitcoin will be caged by the governments and we will not be able to see the, the maximum power that Bitcoin has. Yeah. I think that, that will most likely happen based on where, where are we going. Yes, and I'm, I'm really sad uh, for that to happen. And the, the thing is that miners could really, if they, if they put their heads together, like collectively, all of them, they could be a force to be reckoned with. They could all of a sudden fund Bitcoin core developers. They could fund new innovation, new products. Imagine if all of the mining hash power just took one to 2% of their total hash rate and dedicated that towards Bitcoin core development. The yeah. It would be phenomenal, right? They'll never do that, which is very sad. I mean, and because the mine, whole mining industry was like, is getting more and more like more uh, capital investment, and yeah. investors want to take money. They want money back. They're not in for the technology, they're in for the money, not for the. Correct. Well, for the, which the is why of the we need. As well. yeah. yeah. And that's why we need to really double down and think about how do we best decentralize Bitcoin. And the way that big public companies can help today is 
start opening up offices and opening up sites outside of America. Make sure that you're doing your part to ensure that the U.S. only has 20% maximum hash rate. It shouldn't have anywhere close to 40%. Even 30% is too much. Really double down and spend some time. It's about where the physical machines are. So, you know, using a, a foreign pool doesn't help. Like, let's make sure that machines are sufficiently dispersed. Um, set up smaller sites. Set up, you know, one to five megawatts in in countries and in regions that have uh, not a lot of economic growth. Hire local people to help operate and maintain these farms. Get them exposed to Bitcoin that way. As a public company, you have the, the capital. You have access to the capital markets to do this. And it's a great thing. And I mean, Jack Dorsey and Block are proving that you can do just that. You can expand overseas, um, you know, with with a U.S. public company. So go do that. If you truly care about Bitcoin and you care about building a company that will be here 30 years in the future, like every public company needs to be sitting down at a round table and thinking, well, how do we do what do we do in the next two years that will set us up for a good place in the future? There should be like an organization like there is for uh, petrol, like uh, OPEC, how is it called? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There should be something similar for Bitcoin. Like, Well, they Bitpec. tried, right? They tried the, <laughs> the mining yeah. council. They tried that mining council, yeah. right? With, with Sailor. That, that was only like a handful of people. Right. I mean, The problem is, again, it's the, it's the public companies that probably don't have Bitcoin's best interest at heart. They can love Bitcoin. Right, but ultimately they are bound by shackles to do what makes their shareholders Perfect. happy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's the um, the issue. Yeah, I I agree that I'm just really sad, and I wish that there was more I could do to help. Um, I I feel sad that I contributed to the centralization of Bitcoin hash rate in America through through uh, my former role, and I think you know. I made up my mind um, last year after I got COVID, I went through a deep period of self-reflection. So in 2020 and 2021, and I decided, you know what, for the, the next 10 years of my life, I'm just going to devote my, my time, my energy, all of my wealth to trying to decentralize Bitcoin as much as I can in any way that I can. And um, I think it's needed because, you know, this industry is still young. People don't realize that 13 years isn't a long time. Like it's, it's, it could be wiped out tomorrow. We have to really do whatever we can as a community to ensure that this is here 50 years in the future. That it, if we want community driven, community run money, it's going to take a community to ensure that it's secure. So. Yeah. You also think that uh, payments from open Bitcoin is something is not really taken off from any, from many reasons, of course. But do you think that's one way that can can help that side by side, like you know, you're talking about from the mining side of it? But if you have a, a broader spectrum of the population who are actually using it, accepting mm -hmm. it, paying with it, this can go a long way to making the whole ecosystem more uh, more equitable. It can. It can go a long way towards education. Yeah. Exactly. And it can go a long way towards helping 
uh, get countries unbanked, but ultimately it still doesn't help the security of the Bitcoin network. It's bottlenecked by hash rate, right? And the physical location of the miners. So what I'd like to see is payment terminals with a tiny little Bitcoin uh, ASIC inside of them that (laughs) are hashing 24-7 that also facilitate Bitcoin payments. I would love to see Block and and Strike partner together over building this next generation payment terminal and Mm -hmm. just get that. uh, Honestly, the business model should be pretty simple. Um, Give it away to every local business and have the the device pay back for itself over a period of time. You can do some pretty creative financing deals and you could probably have it pay back for itself after two years. And that would be okay. That's around like a standard, I think car car financing, car car financing deals are 18 months, right? 18 to 24 months. You could do something similar to that. Sometimes much more, it depends on where you are. yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So do something like that. And the way that these hardware companies are paying back is all of that hash rate should probably go to a pool initially so that you can get blocks as much as possible, unless we all move to Stratum V2, which I don't think is going to happen. Uh, sorry, uh, Pavel and Jan, but I don't think it's going to happen like in the next two years. Um, but doing that would go a long way. Um, and a lot of people scoff when I talk about like putting a Bitcoin chip into like these low power devices, but guess what? Um, it's about what chunk of the Bitcoin hash rate that you can get that makes it profitable. So if all of a sudden you have, you know, 30 million units, um, all across the world that are making, you know, um, they don't even have to make that much 10, 20 terahash, you know, a unit, it adds up. It really does. And imagine getting into a store and hearing the ventilators, <laughs> the fans going crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the thing is when you're doing with, uh, when you're dealing with one chip, right, you've got so much more around passive cooling. Um, Bitcoin chip, the only reason we have these hardcore fans on ASICs today is because we try to pack so many fucking chips into one box but if we don't have that uh, requirement anymore we can uh do what the iphone does actually the iphone has a fan in it the the newer ones but like you can go that low profile route and have no fans just have it passively cooled um and so just you know you could probably fit comfortably three chips in a payment terminal and say that it costs 150 to 200 dollars to build a payment terminal um yeah you could airdrop that to you know uh every local business uh outside of the the us um all of that's mining crypto and it's all paying back for itself uh, over two years that's a pretty good business to be in um so someone should go do that I hope someone listens to this podcast and implements that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you look at it, it's quite genius. I think Visa takes like two or three percent of the each transaction, mm-hmm. and instead, uh, the the store would have free transactions. It would only mine, so yep. that's that's probably a win for the for the store. Correct, correct, yeah. and you know, you just. 
with with how technology is advanced now like you don't even need internet just throw it on bluetooth right have it work on satellite um yeah there there is there is a really good opportunity there there truly is so that would be phenomenal if it could be pulled off at scale the the trick there is scale um yeah. and i'd love to see uh block really double down on that avenue um i'd love to see bitmain even try and double down on that avenue. Um, I think the way for us to all secure Bitcoin is to be working finally as a partnership instead of competing. Because quite honestly, like Bitmain's going to be able to sell out payment terminals in China, right? They're going to be able to sell out payment terminals in in Taiwan. They will have areas they can sell into, countries they can sell into, that um, Block doesn't have access to. And, you know, this is something that Canon could even enter into. Like it's the, the trick there is just scale. If you can get enough customers using these payment terminals, you, you win. Um, so yeah, that's one way to approach it, but you could also approach it with any other kind of device that everyone definitely has some one of in their home. Um, aside from phones, don't try phones. Phones are a pain TVs. in the butt. TVs. <laughs> TVs could work. Maybe. Um, Refrigerator. So fridges would work. I think with TVs, um, there's actually a a slow decrease in sales on TVs as we get more and more, you know, devices that are capable of doing streaming and, you know, have screens. We get more computers. TVs, normally you'll just have one TV per, per household. Um, it used to be that, you know, there was an average of two to three and that's slowly dropping uh, over time. But fridges fridges would work. Um, yeah, routers, also something that would uh, work really well. You wouldn't need to cool down the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> the chip wouldn't be need, that What hard. we need to do is you need to make an oven with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you get an oven that will bake every bake your bread at the same time as mine in crypto. That would be amazing. <laughs> that is that's actually or, or, or a really toaster. good idea. <laughs> so I'm gonna toast this this uh, toast in, uh, in my, in my miner. Bitcoin miner. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a we, really we have, good we have, idea. In our community, we have we've seen some pictures of people on. Uh, hitting up their burgers over their GPU racks and stuff. It's like yeah. next yep. evolution, yep. the actual full-on yep. cooker. <laughs> there's there's a guy here locally in Washington State that dries jerky with his ASIC miners, and it's the oh, most yeah. wonderful thing ever. Um, <laughs> and I hope to see more innovations like that. I I love yeah. I love miners repurposing their wasted heat because you. I've never seen that. Like it, it didn't exist in the uh, gaming community, right? Um, it didn't yeah. exist in in data centers. And then you have miners that come along and they're like, "Sure, let me dry my jerky." Or let uh, yeah, I'm yeah. in Washington State, right? So <laughs> marijuana is legal. So let me dry my marijuana. There's a miner that I'm friends with that is building a wood kiln to dry out wood uh, with all of the waste heat from his ASICs. So and it, uh, he can seasoned wood um normally seasoning wood is a multi-year process he can do that in uh four to five months which is like amazing 
By the way, nice uh, offices are all heated up in winter with rigs. We don't even have like the the heating in, in the offices. Just right rigs. on, man. Same yeah. with me. <laughs> Every room has a GPU miner at the moment, um, <laughs> and I'll. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Uh, see, the real reason we created Propal, right, was so that it consumed enough energy so it would heat your house. That was the ultimate, the ultimate uh, reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll just take it yeah. and put it into an oven. Next <laughs> one, dude. I, I'm yeah. telling you, we should pitch that to Samsung. We should uh, <laughs> we should pitch those yeah. mining ovens. <laughs> proof of uh, proof of bake, proof of heat. That's a cool one. No one would awesome. complain about ESG ever again if we did that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, cool. Like the Americans say that uh, the the mining on gas is uh, uh, is eco friendly. Yeah, yeah, they do say yeah. that. Gas terrifies me. That was the worst part about coming to America because when I was living in Sweden and Germany, it was all. Um, uh, Oh man, I forget what it, but it's all electronic, right? Electric heating. And then I come here to yeah. America and everything is gas. Every single yeah. thing. Yeah. Yes. Soon to be proof of bake. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the next big thing, guys. Maybe uh, nice hash and oh, got a girl form a partnership. We, we uh, roll out proof of bake. Nice um, ovens, <laughs> but 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 not nice uh, ovens. Not the other, yes. <laughs> not the other bake that you were talking about before. <laughs> like the <laughs> we we want to get baked. <laughs> That's a Washington State special. <laughs> we can <laughs> special special edition product. <laughs> cool. I got one one final question for you. Well, it's a double question actually. What was your biggest crypto prediction that went horribly wrong, and what was one that was bang on the mark? Oh, um, or you can make a new one, and we can see what happens. <laughs> well, um, those who follow my Twitter know I've been tracking this bear market since uh, since January this year. So I was bang on uh, with that. Quite good, uh, quite happy about that, actually, because the people who did listen to me were able to de-risk themselves. Um, I was also I was also aware of when uh, the mining ban was happening in China about, I think, four days before it became public. So uh, apologies, everyone, for the giant Bitcoin crash, because that was... That was me running my mouth to uh, <laughs> to make. Um, I think the one that went horribly wrong, uh, quite honestly, was uh, back in back in uh, the days of Genesis. I think um, some of the decisions we made there on how on what coins we should mine next, um, you know, what coins would be the next big thing. We were very incorrect on that. We should have doubled down more on Ethereum and probably not paid too much attention to, to Zcash um, or Dash or, or sorry, 
sorry, Monero fans, but Monero, honestly, um, should have just been doubling down on, on Ethereum. And uh, I think the other crypto prediction that went horribly wrong was the crypto winter uh, of 2017 and 2018. I... You know, I truly didn't believe that it would be that catastrophic as it was. Um, I did not think Bitcoin would hit those kinds of lows. And uh, that was a very painful time uh, for anyone that was in the industry. And uh, I think as I've gotten older, my instincts have gotten a lot better and a lot sharper. I've had more data to work with, more experiences to draw from. Same as anyone, right? That that uh, grows up in a business. And, um, you know, at least now I was able to see the warning signs for this, this current bear market that we're entering into and, and hedge my own project quite nicely against it, even make us some profit and start making, uh, making the right moves for my own, uh, my own treasury and my own wealth to, to ensure that, you know, if we have a four to five year recession, I can just keep focusing on building and not having to worry. Um, I am very concerned about how Bitcoin is tightly coupled with the U.S. financial system right now. Um, I, I miss when we had the, the Chinese, uh, Chinese miners and the, the Chinese markets pumping Bitcoin uh, independently. Um, and now, you know, when, when the NASDAQ crashes, so does Bitcoin. Bitcoin follows. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I hope we break out of that cycle because that is something I'm not very comfortable with because the stock markets are very emotional. It's it's all psychology and human driven. Yeah. It's it's yeah. not systematic yeah, exactly. at all. And, and not not uh, that analysis. I mean, when you see that uh, Fibonacci curves and stuff like that, that's when people uh, make analysis on the on the yeah. graph. That's... Yeah, exactly. Stupid. So I, That's I hope, uh, I hope we decouple soon. Uh, I don't think we'll decouple until Bitcoin moves out of the U.S. a little bit. But yeah. Um. So so far, I haven't had any any truly bad predictions. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today. It was really great to talk to you. Yeah. I'm sure we could go on talking for another two or three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, guys. Really appreciated it. And uh, proof of burn. Let's proof of bake, right? Proof of bake. Proof of bake, yeah. Let's, bake, yeah. <laughs> proof of bake. We don't want ovens that burn. Let's uh, let's roll out. Bake. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Stay tuned. So if you're watching this, viewers, check back in a year and let's see where we are. <laughs> yeah. Check Maybe back order in a year. some. some... April first. Check back April in 1st, April first, twenty twenty-three. Next year. <laughs> yep. Proof of bake. <laughs> That's the official release date. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, uh, be, be aware for the leaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah. It's nice having you. Awesome. Thanks everyone for watching. So this was nice talk with nice Ash with our special guest today, Christy Lee. We got to go. And it was yeah, great to talk to you. Uh, if you've been listening to this and you haven't tried mining yet, make sure you do. So, uh, go to niceash.com and uh, download our free software. And if you're sitting on a GPU, make sure you put it to work and start mining and earning some Bitcoin. Thanks all and see you again soon.